So we're here on Sabbath, winding up our two and a half week journey in Israel, Herzl and I. And we just wanted to reflect on everything we've seen, everything we've done, all the people we've encountered, and to really just give you an insight and understanding into the current affairs, the current state of things. Because many of you, I'm sure, would love to be here in Israel, the Holy Land, but you all want to be here for the wrong reasons. All over the world, people talk about Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, the desert, the Golan Heights, but what are you really excited about? What, what does really excite you? See, it is called the Holy Land, the land, the ground, the earth. That's really what's holy about this place. Not the cities, not the buildings, not the culture, the architecture, what is on top of the land, but the land itself. As a matter of fact, that is the only holy thing in this place. See, we, we've been to Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, and there was absolutely nothing holy about that city. As a matter of fact, we made a pact, a covenant, never to return until Mashiach comes and establishes his Yerushalayim, his covenant, his kingdom. And of course, if you know Stephen and I, we do not go to Tel Aviv, ever. Why would we? Sodom and Gomorrah. The only reason we would ever go there is if God tells us to go destroy that city. Oh, no other reason. Why? We don't like the culture. We don't like the gay parades. We don't like the naked Sodomites on the beach. The stores opening seven days a week, 24-7. Why would you ever go there? Unless you want to dwell and delve into sin. No, but the land, oh, the land, especially now, Pesach time, after the rains, after the winter when the land, the soil is so rich, the, the, the earth has been watered, everything sprouts, everything blooms, the, the flowers, the trees, it, it's just intoxicating when you walk through the streets and you smell all the jasmine and the, the hysteria, all those wonderful plants that our wonderful, incredible creator has made for us to enjoy the sights and the scents. It's just overwhelming when you know how to appreciate the land. And the land belongs to God. You see, the temple is no more. There are no more burnt sacrifices. There are no more lambs or goats. And the only temple now are you and I. And what are we burning but the sin within us by the fire of God? We are the temple of the Lord. The temple was always meant, well, more or less the tabernacle meant. Don't forget the temple was just meant to house the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the model for you and I. And having all of the myths and fables and stories dismissed, and yet so much of the culture in the West, and even here in Israel, is built on monetizing the fables and the myths. Takes away the reality of Hashem Adonai, Yeshua, Mashiach, our Kohenim Hagadol, because we have found a way 
as Rabbi Guy and I have seen over and over again, why so many get it wrong and a few get it right. You see, the Jews and the Christians are both wrong and right. And they are, as we say, they are right about the other one and wrong about themselves. The Christians point to our Jewish brethren and they are steeped in rigid, heavy loads of tradition that are not even from Torah, but more or less from the Talmud and other extraneous writings. While the Jews look at the Christians and they see they are laden down with paganism, casual, laissez-faire, no fear of God, no discipline, no routine. They see God in the West as something that is lighthearted and casual. While our Jewish brethren here in the Middle East see him as almost unapproachable and only righteous through the routine traditions where they find their righteousness. And yet the father of both the Christians and the Jews, Abraham, counted his faith, as the scripture teaches us, as his righteousness. It wasn't the routine of written traditions of men. And it wasn't a lazy, casual faith. It was a sincere fear of God and a discipline. He went where God told him to go, not knowing what the destination was. He got up and went, did as he was told. And how serious was it? Well, unlike most of us in the West, he was willing to not just forsake his mother and father's home, but give up his son. And when you think about it, Everybody loved the story of Abraham, don't they? The story of the binding of Yitzhak, especially here in Israel. I mean, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Talmudic community, the Orthodox, the Hasidics, they love it. Everybody loved that story. They always talk about it, the faith of Abraham. But I have a question for you. Would you do it? Would you have done it? Would you have taken your child Bind him up, willing to sacrifice him to your God. See, if you did that today, how would people react? Uh-huh. We all know what they would do. Huh. They would lock you up, take away your child, put you on public trial like they did with Michael Jackson with that baby, and probably try to crucify you, call you a, a, a crazy right-wing fanatic, extremist, you name it. Follow God. Pff, this guy is crazy. He's talking to invisible people. He's talking to invisible friends. This guy's on, on drugs because you would have faith in God. See, everybody loves Abraham and what he did, but nobody's willing to do what he did and serve whom he served. Abraham was the father of what? Faith, not religion. Like Stephen Herzl just said, Abraham had faith in God. See, if you just follow the tradition of your ancestors, That's fine and all, and that's honorable, but that's not faith. See, there is a story in the book of Yirmiyahu, the prophet, about the family of Rechabites, Rechabim, who honored the tradition of their ancestors, who told them not to drink, stay alcohol, that is, stay away from all kind of foreign things, live as nomads in the land, don't own anything, don't do anything. And it says God honored that tradition. But at the same time, that tradition would not get them into the kingdom. See, it's fine to honor the tradition of your forefathers. They even said in Judaism, there's this table called Shulchan Aruch, which is the pretty much 
the customs for how to eat, you know, what, what kind of a blessing to say before the food, how to bless after the food. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a whole, a whole sermon. And nothing wrong with it. It's unnecessary, of course, but nothing wrong with it. But they call it the book for orphans. And the reason they call it book for orphans, because they say, well, if you have a father, then do what your father tells you to do. Follow his tradition, not the book. So in a way, the book is meant for those who don't have a tradition. And the question arises, well, if you don't have a tradition, why make one? Why? You know, Stephen and I, we have sort of a tradition. You know, every Friday night, every Kiddush, Yom Shishi, the night before Sabbath, we have a Kiddush. We have a, that cup of grape juice and we sing and we worship, we pray, we light the candles and we do it. It's a nice tradition, nothing wrong with it, but it's not, it's not Torah. See, today is the Sabbath. Last night, though, we didn't. <laughs> we were here in Israel. We had the Kiddush wine, the, the grape juice, but we just didn't. Because we realized, well, we don't have to. Why don't we do something different? It's not Torah. It doesn't need to be so rigid. It's not a commandment. Tradition is something personal. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. As long, and catch this, this is the main part, the main point. As long as it does not contradict the Torah. Or replace the Torah, the tradition, replacing God. Many of us will use our righteousness seen not for the God we say we love and worship, but the tradition. That's why so many in America will never ask you, do you serve the Lord? They'll ask you only what church you go to. They're interested in the practice, the tradition, not the faith, not what matters to God. God would never ask you what church you go to. My question is, why would you ask a person what church they go to? What corner is if God lives in a building? He removed all of that. And the temple that was built wasn't built because he asked for it or needed it or wanted it. And yet you were consumed about where people go to church, really. And why would you be so consumed by that? When in America there's over 50 denominations, not to mention the cults and the various other sectarian parts of those. Is God branding you by a church denomination or a particular theological construct, Calvinist? Really? Have you forgotten who your God is that you claim that you serve? The question is yes. And they have forgotten in Israel as well. Yeah. See, everybody's talking about the third temple and, you know, Herzl told you in the beginning of this message, there's not going to be a third temple. There, actually, there never was a temple. The temple was only built because of David, not God. God actually resisted. He said, who is man that he should build me a temple? I created the heavens and the earth. The earth is my footstool. And you want to build a house for me? But he allowed it because of the love of David. See, but the problem was, David acted outside of the will of God. God allowed it, but it doesn't mean that God willed it. See, a lot of times, God will allow us to do something, even though he does not will it, because our hearts are in the right place. See, Stephen and I, we, we love the Lord, and, you know, we love to bring him sacrifices. There is no temple, so we, we do our sacrifices in the backyard. We have a special anointed place, and, you know, the first time we did it, we went to a shop that we turned out, we realized later, was not a kosher place. <laughs> and we, we bought the lamb and we sacrificed it and, and the Lord received it. And we know that because we walk with God. We have the Holy Spirit. We communicate with him all the time, daily. Not just with him, but he communicates with us. And that's the way it should be when you serve him, when you receive the gift of Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. God will have a relationship with you. Not a church relationship, but a personal, intimate relationship as you talk to, you know, your wife, your spouse. So we know that the Lord received it because we did it innocently and with good intentions, but it wasn't what God willed. See, the temple was only built because of David. The reason God did not will a temple, but only the tabernacle, which they had in the desert, was because it was a 
sign, a symbol, a metaphor to the fact that it was always meant to be temporary. See, the tabernacle was only built in the time of the Israelites after the Exodus, but the original design was Adam. He was the temple. Adam, the first man, Adam and Chava, they were the temple. Problem was, they de-sanctified themselves. They made themselves unclean, so the Spirit of God had to depart and had to find a temporary dwelling place until it can return back to us. See, the Spirit dwelt in the tabernacle. Read the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Levaikra, Bamidbar, you know, Numbers, Devarim, Deuteronomy. That's where the Spirit dwelt. And then it dwelt in the temple after it was dedicated, as long as Israel was united as one. But at the end of the Solomonic kingdom, Solomon, the son of David, who built the temple, the Spirit departed because Israel wasn't united. And the Spirit will only return at the end of the Messianic age, where we are all unified through Yeshua in the Torah. See, now the Spirit of God is not here. And why would it be? We just came from Jerusalem. The city that you call the holy city, it is the most unholy city. A godless city occupied by demons. And I'm not exaggerating. We have the eyes to see. We've been there three times in the last year. Last Pesach, this Yom Kippur, and then again right before this Pesach. And we've seen who the people are. The worst of all religions. The worst of the Jews the worst of the Christians, and the worst of the Muslims. 5 a.m., Muslim Muazin, oh, Allah, Akbar, yelling. Then the church hells bells, bing, 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 bing. The Jews at the Kotel praying to a wall. Where is that in the Torah? See, the Torah is very specific. The Torah is not some historic book. It's not a book of history, something that you need to worship and go to all the sites. And That is not the reason it was written. It was written in the present as instructions how to live. It's not something that you should worship and go to where it says, Oh, this is where the, the, this is where the, the, the cat and this is the, the, the mountain and where he did this and he did that. What is this whole fan culture? Jews and Christians as one have this ridiculous mentality that the scripture is something to worship the locations and make money off of it. You know, we went to Yerushalayim, we went to the Mount of Olives. Really for no reason. We just we were just in the area. And we were like, yeah, let's take a bus. Let's see what's going on over there. We had no idea. We were just going. And of course, it was closed, the, the park. But there was this one guy stood there. They call it the Church of Ascension. And we were like, what's going on over here? And he's like, well, you can't come in. You, you got to pay $10, $10 to get in. I'm like, $10 for what? What is in there? Well, you can see the footsteps of Jesus where he stood before he ascended into heaven. What is this BS crap? <laughs> it's, it's called tourism. It's an ism. Tourism. There are, there, there are no isms in the Lord. We walk with God. Enoch walked with God. Adam walked with God. But man finds a way to make a tour of God. God did not give us a land to tour. He gave us the land to occupy because he wants the land to be a symbol of his occupation of us. See, the Lord occupies us. He wants to occupy us. Or do you throw him out? Do you kick him out? Or even better yet, did you even open the door and invite him in? Real estate. The real, el estate. Is that a state that God created? that truly he owns, but he allows you to lease it, to be in that space. And he wants a clean space to occupy. He wants us, as we read in our Parsha today, to prepare ourselves to be clean, a place for him to occupy. No one likes to go into a hotel or an Airbnb, and it's dirty, or it's filthy. Nobody wants to see that thing that they married violated. People often say when someone breaks in their house, I've had my place broken into, you feel violated. How do you sleep in that place when you know someone else has been there, lying in your bed, throwing your clothes around, 
putting their fingers in your food. You want to throw everything away because someone without permission came into your space and violated. That's why many women, when they are raped, husbands can't have relationships with them anymore. They've been violated. How do you expect the Holy Lord? He says, he that joins himself to a prostitute. We violate our spirit. Rather, it's prostitution or the drugs and drink that we take into our body, not giving the Lord a place to dwell. He wants a place to dwell, a place that's been prepared for you. When the owner of the home know that you're coming to visit, the friend, you prepare a place, do you? Do you clean the sheets, wipe the walls, sweep and mop and wax the floor, clean the dishes, get rid of the spider webs and the bugs, light a candle, get a sweet aroma, and that is the purpose of the offering. We are the offering. We're to be a sweet aroma to the Lord, a lily, a tulip, a wisteria. So when we're in his presence, did you clean yourself? Did you put the spiritual deodorant under your arm? Did you walk that, wipe that stink of sweat off your head? Did you prepare yourself for the Lord? Did you prepare yourself to come into his presence as much as you can? For even after all your preparation, it still takes his grace and mercy to prepare you even further because we are unfit even at our best. But that doesn't mean we're lazy and take our leisure and rest, not to make the effort to do all we can to be what he designed us to be. God, Adonai, Elohim, Hashem, Yadevahe, our maker and creator, our Kohanim, Hagadol, our Mashiach, our Lord, our Savior has designed us. Amen. You see, the Lord is in hiding. You are. Adam hid, not God. Where is God? No, where are you? It was God who said, where are you? Not Adam having to ask, where is God? You often ask that question, don't you? God's been where he's always been. He's not on the witness stand. You are. We are the ones guilty, either intentionally or inadvertently. Our guilt is stained. And yet, you still approach God in an arrogance of pride as if he's in debt to you. Think about it, brothers. Why are you hiding from God? He's not hiding from you. God is the intercessor. He's the in-between. He comes in between to intercede and mediate, to save, to reach out to you and I, to lift us up, to clean us up, to wash us, to prepare us, to sit at the table and have a meal. See, and that's really the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. When you come by faith to God, if you think of mankind not as individuals but as one from beginning to an end, you can see the story and how it's built. Mankind fell. Mankind defiled itself. Okay, it's defiled itself, but God is in the business of restoration. So he starts. He let mankind kind of try his own thing. Then he washes them, right? Noah's flood. Like, nope, you've been dirty. Get into that bathtub. And you keep going. You keep growing. And then he said, okay, now I'm going to set you apart for me. I'm going to teach you some basic principles. Before I give you the really hard stuff, the kind of like the, the, the small things, right? The little finishing touches. 
I'll give you the bulk operations. Don't murder, don't <coughs> steal, don't commit adultery, don't do this, love your neighbor as yourself, see an ox, pick it up. You see a bird with its young ends, don't kill the mother, let her live. All these basic things called the Torah. But that was stage one. After that, he says, okay, now that you've realized the penalty of sin, which is all the guilt offerings, Parasha Vaikra, the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus, Vaikra, is talking about all the different sacrifices, the guilt, the sin, the burn, the peace offering. All of them are for sins, unintentional, unintentional sins. But then, as we grow and mature, we realize we can't keep this up. <laughs> this is too much. Every time we have a bad thought, something has to give, something has to die. When the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, sins, sacrifice a bull. When the assembly sins, sacrifice a bull. When an individual sac sins, sacrifice a young goat. And it just, it builds on top of each other. It's like, well, if that goes on, as humankind continue to multiply, there's not enough goats, lambs, and bulls to atone for all of our sins. Not to mention one person's sin. Because, see, in the beginning, God has more mercy on us because there were less rules. The, the, the Torah, the instructions, weren't as deep as to penetrate our thoughts, our heart, our mind. It was more morely focused on the external stuff to teach us the principles so that when Yeshua came, he took it to the next level. He said, well, if you hate your brother in your heart, you have already committed murder. What's the difference? You are a spiritual being. Whether you do it or not, you think it. If you look at another woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery. See, he exposes the, hin the hidden sins, the inner sins, so that if we didn't realize we were sinners then, now we do. See, and that's really the purpose of the law. That's what Paul said. Well, before the law, I looked at the woman lustfully. I didn't know there was anything wrong. But now, there's the Torah. It says, do not covet. So now I'm guilty of sin. And which of us, if we were honest, which of us would admit that we've had a day, a week, or a month, well, obviously a year, or life without thoughts that are unholy? That's just the thoughts. No, no, if we were really honest, we were talking about what the Scripture says in the Psalms, the hidden sin, the secret sin that David talked about, the things that nobody knows. Yes, the cop pulled you over. Oh, officer, it's my first time. <laughs> he knows it's not. It's the first time you got caught. It's not the first time. And the only reason you didn't caught before because there was nobody there to catch you. So you could say, it's my first time committing a sin that you know it's not your first time. You see, you why do you have to forgive your brother seven times, 70 in a day, 490 times? Because how many more sins are you and I guilty of you can forgive your brother 409 times in a day, and it still won't be half of the sins you've already committed in your own life. It's an impossible walk. And it's made to be impossible for a reason. To show us that there is nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to make ourselves righteous. I know you've given to the temple. You helped the homeless shelter in your city. You adopted a dog. You picked up trash on the beach. You be honest. You really think that makes you righteous? Because you painted a house and helped the old lady cross the street, helped the cat get out of the tree? Seriously? You think that menial, trivial action is enough to pay the debt, the price for the violation of God and his Torah and the evil that you've done? that you never got caught for. Really? I think you know better. You'd like to believe that lie is even worse when you can simply acknowledge the truth. Oh, Father, there is nothing I can do to save myself. No matter how much money I give, how many prayers I pray, how many services I attend, how many charity, charities I give my money, no, not by works, lest any man should boast. Is there anything wrong with giving charity? No, you should. Is there anything wrong with saving animals in distress? No, you should. Is there anything wrong with picking up trash? No, you should. Is there anything wrong with helping the poor, giving? 
No, all those things you should, but none of those things justify you. And none of those things can make you right or righteous. Yep, because when you think about it, how many crimes does it take to consider someone a criminal? How many felons to become a felon? It only takes one, doesn't it? Just one crime. You know, in, in Yaakov, James, he says, well, sure, the Torah says do not murder, but it also says do not commit adultery. So if you do not murder, but you do commit adultery, have you not broken the entire law? And really, all of his teachings are based on the book of Vaikra, what we studied today, because it says it is enough that you have broken one of those commandments, that you have broken them all, and you are in need of a sacrifice, a guilt sacrifice, a sin offering. See, we stayed one of our places with a rabbi in Carmiel. We stayed at an Airbnb that he owned. And we've had the conversation with him. And one of the first things he told us when we spoke to him on the phone, he said, do not bring Jesus into my house. That's kind of what, what it sounds like. It kind of reminds me of Beavis. But that's what he was saying. And, and we both looked at each other like, wait, did, did I hear you right? Did you say do not bring Jesus into your house? First off, we told him, we don't bring him into your house. He's already in our house. Second of all, well, you say that, and when we've had a deeper conversation with him, he said, I believe I can just come to Hashem the way I want. He, can, he believes he can just come to the Lord, to the God of creation, and have just talk to him, just approach him. And we have no idea where he gets that from, because obviously Vaikra is very specific. It is the Kohen, the priest, who must make atonement and intercede for the people. When the people commit a sin, how can something unholy approach the holy of holies of holies. See, we talked about the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle? The temporary holy of holies where the Spirit of God dwelt, the Shekinah. And even there, when it was here on the earth, only the high priest could enter once a year on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, only after he had made atonement a blood sacrifice for himself. Only then he could approach the holy of holies where God was. And that was in the tabernacle, which was really a form, a model for how we should be. We got to be holy. We have to have the, the high priest, which the Kohen Gadol, which to us is Yeshua, the Mashiach, who came 2,000 years ago, whom you call Jesus. But the rabbi had this thought and understanding that he doesn't need any mediator, any intercessor, which was very interesting to us because obviously he trusted in his own tradition and customs. You know, we were there on the last week of Pesach, from Sunday till Friday. And we got to the place and there were no plates. No plates, no cups, the, a couple of pens that were there. And they said to us, well, it's Pesach. As if that's an excuse. What does that mean? He said, well, it's not kosher. What's not kosher? Well, we don't eat lentils. We don't eat beans. We can't have ice cream. Like, why? What is that in the Torah? Lentils, beans, rice, ice cream? Well, we're afraid maybe a grain of flour fell into the water and it started, it became... Uh, what is this? This is your, you say all of that and then you say you don't need an intercessor to come between you, to mediate between you and God, even though the Torah specifically says you need a Kohen. And given the fact that we don't have a temple nowadays and there are no Kohanim who bring up sacrifices, you remain uncovered. See, he acknowledges it even though he does not. Basically, he says he would rather trust in his own man-made tradition and his own efforts to cleanse himself by avoiding lentils, rice, kidneys, uh, kidneys, uh, you know, kidney beans, whatever. <laughs> Don't eat kidneys. That's also for the Lord. We read in the sacrifice, the kidneys and the liver and all the internal parts with the fat, that's for the Lord, not for the man. But aside the point, he trusts in his own efforts and his own abilities, and he truly believed that, that he does not need a mediator. And we felt sorry for him because we know how he is going to end up. We know where he is going. And spoiler alert, it's not the kingdom of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You all have read these stories, but none of you live those characters. None of you. They're not characters. You've all read the stories. David left his father's house, Abraham. Jacob was deceived by his 
own relative. Cheated. Tricked. You all know. But one thing I've discovered, I don't think I know five people that have a fear of God. I cannot name five people that have a fear of God. Because when you have a fear of God, you will live and act differently. You always work to avoid the criminalization and prosecution of men. You go to city council meetings, city hall meetings, courts, political conferences, legislative judiciary proceedings to talk about people who have violated the parking code, the building code, and real estate, the Employment Opportunity Office, the violations of men, and you are fined, imprisoned, because you fear man, man is your God. So you park your car just right, you build your house at the right height, you put in the right ramp for your building, for the wheelchair. You put the right marker on the floor of the store, six feet apart. You put the mask, you stand in line. You obey man as if man made you and made the universe. And you understand that when you violate man's law, what they will do to you. So you call an attorney, a police officer, a judge. You file lawsuits because someone violated a law and they must be punished. And yet none of you understand that when you violate God's law. Makes no sense. You want people killed and hung the death penalty. Why do you give so much glory to the laws of men? You pay things on time. Why? Does God not have laws as well? Does God not have taxes that he requires of you? Does God not have offerings? Does God not have penalties? Is God not allowed to penalize you? You love David, but David still faced his penalties and received them, by the way. You haven't read very well, have you? And he didn't turn away from God when God punished him because God chastises those whom he loves like good parents do with children. Love doesn't mean you don't punish. You don't prosecute. You don't make someone own up. Who's the criminal, really? You're not a criminal because you break man's law. You're a criminal when you break God's law. A man today, when Rabbi Guy was walking, was cutting his bushes. And Rabbi Guy confronted him. Didn't you? Yeah. He was gardening his bushes. And I told him, what are you doing? It's the Sabbath. Day of rest for man, for animal, and for plant. And you know what he said? Ah, I'm already lost. <laughs> well, he got me there. <laughs> I told him God will judge him. He said, I'm already lost. I was like, well. Yeah, he said I'm a criminal. <laughs> yeah? He goes, well, I'm a criminal. He owned it. He knew. Yeah. And whether he has the fear of God or not, it makes no difference. He's still going to the same place. So you don't have to believe in hell in order to go there, but you do have to believe in the kingdom of God and serve him in order to go there. See, the, the, the main problem we believe with people nowadays is that rather than leaving out the Torah, they turn the whole world into the museum of the Torah. They treat it as if it was the natural history museum, or more like the supernatural history museum. This is where Jesus was baptized. This is where the, the splitting of the Red Sea. 
This is the, the, where the disciples in the upper room. This is where he, this is, this is, the, what is all this? And why do you spend tens of thousands of dollars luring your congregation to get on a plane and travel thousands of miles as if God's city is some holy Disneyland? What have you done? Why have you not taught them to live where they are and live a holy life unto the Lord? Nowhere in the Torah does it say, come see where I walked. Come see where I picked up a rock. Come see where I ascended. Nowhere in the Torah does it say, in the last days my spirit shall fall upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams when they visit the Holy Land only. Nowhere in the Torah. You've made a mockery of it. And it's not those who do not know the Lord. It's you. Those of us who claim we know the Lord. There's no wonder so many don't want to follow. Look in the mirror. You are the believer. Or are you at all? Yep. And it goes back to the Christians and the Jews. That rabbi we talked about where we stayed. They all have this culture of using the Torah as a byproduct, as, as a side book, something on the side. They, they idolize those people. They talk about them. They talk about Moshe, you know, Moses. But none of them live like him. It's like Yeshua said, walk as Yeshua walk. Follow me. Follow in my footsteps. Not literally, but the way he lived his life. And that's really what the Torah is all about. You know, the Torah is only the first five books of the Bible. You know that, right? Bereshit, Shemot, Vaikra, Bamidbar, Devarim. That's the instructions. It's not the law, but instructions how you are to live your life. Everything else is like history. So you could learn from your history and avoid repeating the mistakes of your forefathers, of your ancestors. All the prophecies, all the judgments, Samuel, King, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's all history of people who messed it up and they tell you, do not do what I did. Or if they did it right, they tell you, do what I did. But none of it is irrelevant because the Torah was given at a specific point in history, specific point in time, and it was the instructions for all those generations on how to live, how to conduct themselves, and how to follow God. Everything else is irrelevant. Why do you need pictures of, of, of all, all of this stuff? You go around with your phone taking pictures of anything and, and uh, worship everything but God. See, when you truly follow God, when you serve the Lord, you don't need all of that. The disciples, they walked around, no shoes, no, no nothing but the staff and the word of the Lord inside of them. You don't need all of these clothes. You do not need all of these cars, all of this jewelry, all of those watches. Where is that in the Torah? See, Solomon had all of these things, and yet, and yet he said, all of it is vain, chasing after the wind. He had enough wisdom to get that, but not enough wisdom to follow the Lord. And yet, Job had all of those things, and it did not distract him. Think about that. See, Solomon did not have his heart towards God. David did, but not Solomon. Now, Job had his heart. Eov had his heart towards God, had all those things. God took it away, and what happened? Nothing. He didn't. His wife, of course, you know, women love those things, when you're making money, your wives are really happy, aren't they? You start suffering, they get really nasty. By their nature, they're the nesters. They're looking, what are you bringing them? When they're unholy, that is. And unfortunately, most of them are unholy. She tells her husband, curse God and die. And what does Eof says? Shall we only serve God for the good and not the bad? Shall we only serve God for the good and not the bad? And remember that Eov had sons and daughters, and they were all wicked. They were all sleeping together, getting drunk together. And Eov, every time they got together, he already knew that they were sinning, and he already beforehand brought sacrifices to atone for their sins. Because he was a Kohanim, meaning he was a covering, interceding for his own children. Your mother and fathers don't pray and intercede for you, do they? They're not on their face before God, before you. Maybe about money or what school you entered in, how much money you make, what job you've got. They're not praying and interceding for your spirit. They don't care. You don't care. Your flesh. 
your flesh, the soul is starving, the spirit that God has put in that body. Your women care nothing more than for their eyelashes and the makeup and their hair weaves. Too much time in the yoga room, too much time in the gym, too much time, Mr. Real Estate, on a golf course or a yacht or a boat. Too much time in a building with strobe lights and a band on the stage claiming to lift up the name of the Lord with ever, without actually lifting the name up. And yet, and yet you say, where is God? As if God is hiding. You are the one hiding from God because you don't love him. Love is an interesting thing. What it does when you do love, oh, when you do love, the sacrifices you make, the things you do, and you do joyfully, that's love. Just can't help but give. Gladly will lay his life down for the other, sacrifice itself for the other. God is a sidebar for you, a passing word. He's less than a dog on a leash because the modern world gives much more attention to their dogs and cats than they do God. He's a service maybe once a week. He's a meeting with somebody you call pastor or rabbi or guru or shaman. But you, you've decided not to walk with him not to love him. That wasn't his choice. That's yours. Yeah, the Torah does not hide God or Yeshua, the Mashiach. The world does not hide God. Creation does not hide God. It actually proves it. The heavens do declare the glory of the Lord. And not just the heavens, but the earth. The trees, the plants, the flowers, the ecosystem, the animals, the bees, the ants, the everything except for the humans. <laughs> but even the humans in their biology, whether they acknowledge it or not, do declare the glory of the Lord. See, everybody knows how complex, how amazing this human body is, the mind, the creativity, the intelligence, everybody knows it. They just hate God, so they rob him of his glory, give glory to a random event, Something they call evolution, made up world, made up terms, just to steal the glory of the Lord. But it's a lie. There is no evolution. It's the Lord that created it. And the heavens do declare it. God does not hide the fact that he has made it. We know that the earth has only been here for 6,000 years. The earth itself testifies. C4 carbon in the diamonds has a half-life of 5,000 years. If diamonds were millions of years, we wouldn't have that carbon. It would already disintegrate. It testifies. And, and yet... Those of us who love the Lord, we don't need to know any of that. It doesn't matter. So the question is, why do you need to know that? Why do you need to know that? Adam and Eve were put in a garden. They were given everything. But except that, that one thing. Why do you have to have that one thing? Don't you have enough? Hasn't he given you? Isn't it enough? Just to love. You know, my grandmother... You know, she didn't have any great encyclopedias or Wikipedia or Google. And yet, I haven't found anyone that, on this planet that loves God and lives out what I have read in Scripture more than she. And I wonder why she didn't attend a bunch of services. She lived it day in and day out. She talked with her father all the time. She lived alone, but she was never alone. You all have to have a dog. You can't stand to talk. God isn't enough to talk to. You need some company. Your spirit, and you have the great privilege for those of you who live alone, to spend even more time with God. You all wish you were like Enoch. Oh, Enoch had walked and talked with God. Ah, uh, he didn't have a dog. He definitely didn't have a roommate. And I can guarantee you he didn't have a girlfriend chewing gum and looking at Instagram or Facebook. 
You see, I've already chosen the best part. Anything else is a downgrade. You should really learn by submitting and humbling yourself and loving God. Yeah, amen. It's all about loving God. He loves us. But do you love him? And that's really the point. Not the emotion. You say, oh, I love God. Really? Show me. What is the love? How do you love him? What did he say? If you love me, keep my what? My commandments. What are the commandments? Be holy. You say you love God and you still eat pork. You say you love God and you don't honor the Sabbath. You say you love the Lord and you treat your brother worse than you treat your stranger. You give more kindness and courteous to the stranger at the grocery store. Oh, I'm so sorry. Here, please go ahead. And then you go home and you wave your brother off, banging on the door, treat him like a nasty person. That's not Torah. See, the rabbi didn't even offer us food, didn't show us any hospitality. We gave him a gift. He gave us something and then said, if you like it, you can buy it. Where is that? And you're a rabbi. I really feel sorry for his congregation because I know where they are all headed. You have to leave the Torah out. L-I-V-E, not L-E-A-V-E, which most of you do. You do leave the Torah out. <laughs> but you're supposed to leave it, walk it. Those principles. See, it's not as much as the letter of the law, but the space between the letters. It's the spirit. See, most of the universe is space. Spirit. 96% of the universe mass is space. It is spirit. The atom, the way God made the atom, you have the nucleus, the protons and the neutrons, and then you have the electrons that circle around that. But the space is so massive, if you would put it in perspective, the nucleus would be the size of a peanut, and the circle, the radius in which the electrons surround it would be like a football field, which makes the vast majority of an atom space. And considering everything is made of atoms, the vast majority of you is space. Everything is just its space, and that is the spirit. That is where it is at. See, the letter, the law, it tells you love, but then love is a spirit. You cannot, you cannot write it in letter. You cannot specify every single thing because there's always more stuff. It is an infinite concept. How can you describe love? That is why you have to have the spirit in you, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit that sanctifies us and makes us holy. It teaches us how to become holy so that we can cleanse ourselves, so that we can be approachable, that we can be something that God would consider clean so that he could dwell inside of us. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do the work for you. It just points you. It points it out. It brings out the sins in you. It convicts you so that now you have to do the work. You have to change. And that's really the hardest thing, isn't it? Ch -ch change. Everybody wants spare change, but nobody wants to change. It's not easy. It's actually the hardest thing you've ever done with your life. Change yourself, your habits, your, the way you think, the way you treat people. We all have the default, right? Somebody does one thing, you already re react. Instead of responding, you react automatically. Someone hits you, you hit them back. Why? Maybe you don't even know why they did it. Was it the purpose? Was it an accident? You automatically get upset. Look, what are you doing? Get away from me. And you let the demons grab a hold of you. They already got such a deep hold of you. Rather than say, oh, uh, excuse me, forgive me, brother. I didn't mean to. I repent. But you automatically, you already have this conditioned inside of you. And it's the hardest thing to change. Yeah. You know, when we go to a new place, the people have to clean the place before we enter. When we left one place last week, she came right at the moment that we were trying to get out. She couldn't wait to rush in and clean it to prepare it for the next person that was going to occupy it. The extent and limit that you go through to clean your car, to clean a room, a hotel room, and all of you do complain when something's dirty, don't you? After all, you paid for it. And you want a discount. It wasn't prepared properly for you before you arrived. 
You go into a restaurant, you have to wait for them to bust the table to clean, prepare it for the next person that's going to sit there. In this world, you expect everyone to clean before you arrive, to prepare it properly before you get there, whether it's an office, a convention hall, a restaurant table, a gym machine, an apartment, a hotel room, a rental car. You want done for you what all of us will fuse to do for God, Hashem, Adonai. And yet, Father says, I'd like to use you today. You mind cleaning your car? I'd like to come and sleep and fellowship with you. mind cleaning your room? I'd like to have a meal with you today. You mind cleaning your dishes? Do you prepare yourself to be a place where Papa can dwell and use us? Love. On this hang all the law and the prophets, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. Prophesy, speak in tongues, raise the dead, healing services, gift of wisdom, but hath not love, but hath not love. Faith to move a mountain, but hath not love. Adonai, here am I. Here am I. Are you? Adonai, he named me. Shema tefilati. Vehish temesh be.
Smart and filati, they hit a mess. 